And so Jesus says, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Superficially, John chapter 9 is a very simple story. It's about a man whose eyesight was dead. Not just hurt, but he was born blind, and so he really didn't have any at all. And through mud and spit and washing and a little bit of trust, the man is cured and able to see. That's what's happening superficially. But if you look at the structure of John 9 and the importance that John puts on this encounter in his gospel, there is something much more profound that's happening. The deeper lesson is about our spiritual blindness and that physical blindness is, in fact, the small problem. Spiritual blindness is the much greater one. The gospel lesson starts with the disciples seeing a man begging by the side of the road who clearly cannot see. And in fact, they learn later has been blind since his very birth. And the only question that the disciples can think to ask their master, their rabbi, their teacher is, who sinned? Is it because of this man's sin or in view of his future sin that he's blind? Or is it because of the parent's sin? Surely somebody has done something to offend God, and that's the reason why God has placed this affliction on this man. As humans, we have a very simple calculus. Something, if something has gone wrong to someone, they clearly have offended the gods or fate or God himself for this to happen. And if things are going well for us, then clearly we have been blessed by God. That's the way our calculus is done. Even atheists kind of think the same way. Something truly horrible happens to someone and they think, wow, they must have really done something bad in a previous life to let this happen to them. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. And we try and apply that to everything we see in the world. The problem is that the world teaches us otherwise. If your eyes are truly open, you will have at some point realized that this calculus just doesn't seem to work. There are truly bad people to which good things seem to constantly happen, and people that seem to be truly good that seem to always have disaster fall on their heads. Look at what just happened this last week in Emki in Quebec the Gaspé Peninsula, a truck driver choosing intentionally to drive into a whole group of pedestrians, killing two of them. Who are the good people here? And who are the bad people? Who sinned that two of them should die and didn't sin that the rest should live? And that would include, of course, also the truck driver who walked away uninjured. So we try and make our calculus fit the world that we see, even though it really doesn't seem to work. That's where the deeper problem is, you see. 
is what Jesus is trying to get at in John chapter 9, that perhaps, just perhaps, sin has nothing to do with what we can see physically and everything to do with what we do or do not see spiritually. So, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. People come to him and say, who is it that healed you? And the man admits that it was Jesus. Now, this is already a step forward because back in John chapter 5, when Jesus healed a paralyzed man and he was asked the same question, his answer was, I don't know. It's like he was some kind of a teenager who just finished a long day at school. What did you learn today? I don't know. So at least, at least with this man, we have a genuine answer. I know that it was the man, Jesus. And thus begins a dialogue, a back and forth, a conversation involving three different parties. On the one hand, the Pharisees, the religious people of the time who knew about ethics. They knew about morals. They knew the scriptures. They went to temple. They were the good ones. On the other side, we have the man who was born blind, who clearly, according to the world's calculus, our human calculus must be the bad one because he can't see. We actually have a third party, and that's the parents. And the parents represent the vast majority of the human race, as we'll see in a moment. To begin with, the Pharisees are split. They've got a problem, you see, because in their human calculus, people to which good things happen are good, and good for them is obeying the rules of God. And one of the primary rules that God had given to his people of old was, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, and for them that meant not working. Except that Jesus seems to have been working on the Sabbath by bringing sight back to this blind And so they're divided. Is he from God or not? Clearly, giving sight to a blind man is a good thing, but to do it on the Sabbath day is not. We don't know what to make of this man, Jesus. So they question the man who's been cured. And he ups the ante a little bit when he's asked, what do you think about this man, Jesus, by saying he is a prophet? He's taking the side that perhaps Jesus comes from God, while the Pharisees are divided. Then that third party gets called in, the parents. The parents who are meant to testify to what they know about their son. Was he, in fact, born blind? And the parents can confirm, because it seems to be safe, that yes, in fact, he's never been able to see. But when the parents are asked, how is it that he has gotten his sight back? Who did it? What do you have to say about them? They become very noncommittal. They want to be fair. They don't want to take sides. We don't want to say that Jesus perhaps is a prophet because then we could get in trouble with the Jews. But we also don't want to downplay what happened because now our son can see. So why don't you just ask him? The Pharisees, though, are digging in. They refuse to change their minds. They become more hardened in their view that surely this man, Jesus, who worked on the Sabbath, cannot be from God. We know that this man is a sinner, they say. The blind man 
digs in too, becomes even more adamant, looks at them and says, you know, there are a lot of things I don't know, but one thing I do, and that was that I was blind and now I see. The Pharisees get even more angry, more committed to preserving their righteous calculus of who is good, who is bad, who is a sinner and who is not. As for this one, they say about Jesus, this dude, this guy, they won't even name him at this point. We don't even know where he comes from. But the blind man who is now able to see doubles down. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And now we get the verdict. The Pharisees finally know what to say. Jesus is a sinner. The man cured was born in utter sin, but they are righteous. They've resolved it in their mind. They've gotten the calculus together. They've solved the equation. The Sabbath is what matters. God has told us, you must remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And whether people are in the world suffering or not is irrelevant. How could God possibly care? Surely the man was blind because he was a sinner. Jesus broke the Sabbath. That makes him a sinner. And while the rest of us are looking at this miraculous event, as are many in the community, no doubt, this man who his entire life had been a beggar by the side of the road because he couldn't see, now is able to look at his parents, look at his friends, see his community, the people, the buildings for the first time. All the Pharisees are concerned about is being sure of who is right and who is wrong. And the right are them and the wrong is everyone else. So in order to remain the good religious people, the Pharisees kick the blind man out of the synagogue. He is no longer a Jew. He is now on his own. The parents disappear from the story because they wouldn't make a commitment one way or the other. But there's still a punchline yet to come because the man who is cured becomes a full disciple of Jesus. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus says, do you believe in the one that Daniel prophesied would come to the throne of the ancient of days and receive authority over all peoples on earth and would come to deliver them from sin, from death, from the demonic, from evil? And the man says, who is he that I may believe in him? Jesus says, I am. And the man answers, Lord, I believe and worship him. And that's when Jesus says the verses which I started our reflection with. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. The Pharisees, of course, are confused and say, are we also blind? Thinking that everything has to do with our physical life. But Jesus says to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see your guilt remains. So what is the lesson? What does this have to do with physical sight and spiritual sight? Clearly, the Pharisees have their physical sight. They wouldn't even be allowed to be religious leaders if they didn't, because if they were blind, they would be sinners and they couldn't serve God. So this isn't a question of who needs glasses and who doesn't. 
but it is a question of who has true spiritual sight, who understands the greater issue at stake here. And it's not whether or not you need glasses or cataract surgery. It's whether you can see God in Christ. Whether you see Jesus hanging on the cross and see a failure or see your redemption, your forgiveness, and your eternal life. The question is whether you wake up in the morning and say, oh, Lord, my back hurts. Or whether you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I know you have my back. Whether you look at all what's in your cupboards at four or five or six o'clock in the evening and say, I don't know what we'll eat tonight. Or whether before and after dinner, you give thanks to the God who has been able to provide for your needs of both body and soul. Whether your prayers are consumed with, Lord, can you fix this thing or that thing or get me that thing I want or take away this person I don't really like. Or whether you come to God in prayer and say, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have saved me. That you have looked at my lowly condition and delivered me from sin and fear of death and the power of the devil. The disciples even at this point, are still more concerned with physical blindness, what Jesus can cure, than with the deeper problem of spiritual blindness, which the Pharisees refuse to let Jesus cure. And we're in the same boat even today, because the question of John 9 is posed to us. Are we the blind man? who recognizes that it is only Jesus who gives sight? Are we the Pharisees who insist that we have to cling to this calculus of good people getting good things and bad people getting bad things, even the world, even though the world keeps showing us it's not true? Or are we like the parents who just don't want to commit, can't be bothered to make a decision, want to find the easy way out? try and make everybody happy, and in the end, get nowhere. You cannot religious or moral your way out of spiritual blindness. You can't work your way out of it. The Pharisees had the corner on that market, and Jesus was adamant that they were utterly blind, despite their rigor in keeping the law. True righteousness comes through trust in Christ. To go wash when he says, go and be washed. To eat when he says to come and eat. To drink when he says to come and drink. To trust him when he says, trust me and no one else. To admit that you, in fact, see better than all of Jesus' religious leaders who claimed they had no need of salvation and confirmed their utter spiritual blindness. All of this makes me think of John Newton. John Newton could see just fine. He could see all of the men and women from Africa that he had been sent there to enslave, load into slaving ships, and bring to Ireland and the United Kingdom. He could see them just fine. He could see the shipping lanes just fine, and he could see the amount of money he was making from his slave trade just fine. But what he could not see 
was a point to any of this, a point to his life, a point to why we should bother about anything until Jesus made him see him. Then he found a Jesus who loved him, not by making his life easy, but a Jesus who loved him in this way by dying on a cross. A Jesus who opened his spiritual eyes to a God who had redeemed him. A God who then called him to love others just as God had loved him. And in that moment, John Newton, the slave trader, became a Christian and an abolitionist fighting to end the slave trade in England and a hymn writer. In fact, penning one of the most famous hymns in the contemporary Christian church, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.